Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storyline results and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, October 8th. We want to apologize to you listeners for missing yesterday's podcast. That one's on me. Uh, A little self-indulgence here. It was my birthday on Sunday, and just I was in no place to podcast Sunday night. Didn't get to watch as much tennis as I would have liked this weekend. But with that in mind, I have taken Sunday night, all of this Monday night, to reflect on the week that was and what we're going to be doing to make up for it. We're going to do a little two-pod Tuesday. Part one of this podcast is going to be recapping last week's action. That, of course, the two ATP 500 events in Tokyo, in Beijing, as well as the WTA Premier Mandatory in Beijing. And then tomorrow, later in the afternoon, we'll do just another solo mini-break podcast, me breaking down that day's, uh, to, I guess tonight, Monday night's results, Tuesday morning's results in Shanghai for you listeners. But joining me on part one of this podcast, and it has been way too long since I've had a guest, so I apologize if I speak over you or just forget your presence in advance, but one of my favorite podcast guests, our regular on the Wednesday mini break podcast with Jamie McDonald, our favorite Cracked Rackets writer, and of course we call him affectionately Matt the Cracks the Koyak. Matty, welcome back to the mini break podcast all right man first of all number one happy birthday okay I, I i feel bad that i did not give you a shout out yesterday I, that is on me that was that was a blunder all right um but happy birthday man and number two I, i'm pumped to be back on here again with you man you mentioned it it has been far too long far too long all right it's the gift that key. There's no better gift you could have given me, Matt, than being like, you know what, Alex? I'll bite the bullet. I'll talk to you for an hour plus today and talk a little tennis from the past week and the week above. Yeah, no worries. The more unforced errors from you this weekend than Novak Djokovic, I'd say. But, Matty, you know, it's always <laughs> a pleasure to have you back on the pod. I love it, man. Let's get into it. Yeah, so as I mentioned, what we're going to be doing on this podcast, recapping the weekend that was because there was a ton of action with ATP WTA finals implications that we don't want to leave you listeners out on. Uh, Let's start with the guy I just mentioned, number one seed Novak Djokovic, who was in Tokyo, Japan this past week at the Rakuten Japan Open, the ATP 500 to set the scene. Obviously, the last time we saw Novak Djokovic, not only did he lose to Daniil Medvedev, Medvedev in Cincinnati after being in up a set and a break and seemed in command of that match. But then he goes to the U.S. Open, clearly hobbled by injury, but forced to uh, pull out of his match against Stan Wawrinka. I believe that was in the quarterfinals. Novak at that point, obviously the prohibitive favorite to win the tournament and seeing <clears throat> You know what happened from then on. Obviously, the implications of him pulling out speak for themselves. But then he comes back, a rare appearance for him. I believe his first appearance ever at this tournament in Tokyo. And I mean, let's just start off with the big takeaway. Novak Djokovic, the winner of this tournament, will start with his semifinal win over David Goffin, 6-3, 6-4. Now, while that shows a straight set match uh, and it seems uncomplicated, I thought it was anything but for Novak. And I thought the level he showed you know, not only all week long, I, I don't think he dropped a set in any of his matches, but in this match in particular against Gofen, any doubts I had after the U.S. Open, I mean, his level throughout the week was just phenomenal. Yeah, it was awesome, man. I mean, talk about a comeback. The way that we saw him last at the U.S. Open compared to Tokyo here, uh, it, two completely different guys. I mean, he really showed up and played well. Uh, Gofan, his semifinal match, I think was was definitely his toughest matchup of the entire tournament. That was the match. Um, and Gofan played well, honestly, 6-3, 6-4. But, man, I, I was I was impressed with Gofan as well. I thought he had played a really good tournament. He was in good form. But Novak, man, just uh, obviously we know what he can do, right? When he's, when he's healthy and playing well, I mean, he's number one in the world for a reason. So... It's just, for me, it's a tough matchup for GoFan because, I mean, they play similar games, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're speedy around the court. They both, they're solid off the ground, um, excellent returners. And, and Novak, when he's on, is just going to be a little bit better at everything than David GoFan is. And, and that's not to take anything away from GoFan. We know how good he is, but when Novak's playing at that level... You know, I mean, we, we get the match that we got, and it, it was a good match. Like you mentioned, 6-3, 6-4, it looked routine, but, I mean, Novak really, he had to dig in on, on a lot of points here to, to come out uh, in straight sets, so it was it was a good match. 
I have a huge smile on my face for two reasons, and unfortunately this is not a video pod, so listeners aren't going to be able to see it. But reason number one, uh, obviously my microphone finally working again, so I'll have you, you listeners aren't going to get to hear the pregame singing I did into the microphone. Matt was forced to suffer through that, so I'm going to be excited throughout this podcast. But part two... You know, God, that I miss your presence because I could not agree with your assessment any more than I do uh, to say uh, you, you beat me to it. David Goffin has been playing incredibly well, and you look at him. We talked about the year-end finals implications at this point of the season. I mean, he's sitting right now at number nine in that race. He's playing in Shanghai. Obviously, the people in front of him, Tsitsipas, RBA, Zverev, also playing that event. But you look at the point gap. I mean, Tsitsipas is 975 points ahead ahead of the seventh place person, but that seven, eight, nine range, you know, RBA in seventh is only 160 points ahead of Gofen in ninth with Zverev 20 points ahead of Gofen squeezed in between them at eighth. And David Goffin has made a strong push here at the end of the season, makes that final in Cincinnati. I think it was fourth round at the U.S. Open, which obviously he held seed, got steamrolled by Federer, and that sort of puts a damper on that hardcourt stretch for him. But yeah, I agree with you. I thought he did a lot to push Novak in this one. For me, the biggest thing watching these matches, and it's so difficult to watch these matches given the time differences, but when I saw the replay or caught glimpses of highlights, I mean, Novak Djokovic was fired up. I think he faced a break point up. Up 2-0 in that second set, 30-40, and he fought it off. And, you know, he's up a set and a break at that point. You'd think Novak would stay steady. No, he unleashed a roar to the crowd, and I think that speaks to the fact that he is so happy to even see himself back out there at this level so soon. In this GoFan match, makes 66% of his first serves wins 87% of those points, 50% of the second serve points. He plays a 4-4 in terms of saving break points. More importantly, he holds Gofen to 12-26 on his own second serve, and that's really the biggest difference in this match. Novak Djokovic, when he had opportunities, he had six break points to Gofen's uh, four, but he converted on two of them, and in a match where the margins are this close, total points, you know, given it was a straight set match, Djokovic 68, Gofen 56, it speaks to the fact this was a high-level match, and Novak Djokovic, that level, really, uh, it, we saw it throughout the week. It speaks to why he was able to not drop a set in this event, and it speaks to why all of us continue to say, you know, this U.S. Open and Cincinnati blip aside, this is the guy to beat on a hard court still for the next, you know, until someone beats him repeatedly. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I couldn't agree more. And and yeah, you said it. I mean, he was fired up. He knew that GoFan was going to be a major test uh, with the form that he had been in. So, yeah, for Novak to get through this one, I mean, y- you kind of knew, or at least in my mind, I figured when he got through GoFan and was able to get into that final, I, I really had no doubts that he was going to take the title at that point. I mean, I just I knew that GoFan was going to be a-, a tough test, and if he was able to get through that, especially the way that he did, um, I was feeling really good about his chances to, to take it home. Uh, and that's, again, Novak Djokovic on a hard court, so difficult to beat. But I want to move on and talk about uh, the ATP event in Beijing, but just a couple of other takeaways real quick from Tokyo. I mentioned it on the solo pods last week, but Hyun Chung getting a win over Lorenzo Snego, following that up with a three-set win over Marin Cilic. These are big results for him on the comeback tour. But a guy I really want to circle real quick, uh, number, uh, or, sorry, unseated in this event, but our semifinalist here, Riley Opelka, who ends up losing to John Millman, 6-3-7-6 in the semifinals. For Millman, by the way, real quick, not to leave him short, this result's so big for him result-wise. It's going to keep him in that top 60 range heading into next season. He really did not have a good year uh, by his standard, obviously beating Federer in the 2018 U.S. Open, using that result as a as a buttress into this season. He goes 20-25 and 25 thus far in the year, but to get a final at an ATP 500, so big for him. But for Riley Opelka, I believe this is the first ATP 500 semifinal for him on the year. No, he didn't beat John Millman. But Matt, I was was looking through the stats from his matches, including the John Millman match. Riley Opelka got broken twice in this tournament, only two times, and it was Jill Simone once in his second round match, and then Millman once in the first set of this semifinal match was Riley Opelka broken. And to me, even though he lost the semifinal, like how can you not look at that and be like, this guy is so well set up for the future? 
Yeah, no, of course. I mean, that's that's big time. And, you know, I'm not really surprised by the, by those stats, man. I mean, he again, two great returners, right? Gilles Simone gets gets a break on him. And then John Millman, uh, two guys that are, are really, you know, fast counter punchers that return extremely well. So um, no surprise there for Riley. Yeah, we know he can serve big man. I mean, I'm confident really against almost anybody in the world when he steps up to that line on his serve if he's feeling it I mean he he can hold his own with absolutely anybody so um you know Millman you mentioned Millman he actually qualified into Tokyo so he he made the final as a qualifier in that tournament so definitely big for John Millman I would have loved for Riley to to sneak that match out but you know, second set tiebreaker just didn't go his way, and, and Millman was in a groove, man. I mean, obviously getting through qualies and then all the way to the final, he was he was feeling it. So, um, you know, I don't look at this as a negative for Opelka at all. Yes, it would have been awesome to get to the final and play Novak in a ATP 500 final, but you know what? I mean, he, he he's on his way, man. I mean, he's still young. I'm not worried about Opelka at all. 22 years old, Riley right now in the live rankings up to a career high number 39. You look at him in the ATP race, no, he's not going to be qualifying for the year-end finals in London, but he's number 35, and shockingly, that feels correct. He's certainly been a top 50 player this year. I agree. You know, top 40, he has an ATP title to his name, albeit a soft draw in New York, but still, he got the job done. He gets another result like this here in Tokyo. Again, John Millman's kind of the dream semifinal opponent you want, and I'm sure he's kicking himself. But for the 22-year-old, the comparisons to Isner are obvious, but you just look at where he's at physically. I think he moves so well for his size, and the firepower he can produce from the ground, I think just... I think he's fundamentally as the most solid player we've ever seen. And, you know, it's not like there have been a bunch of seven-foot-tall players, but he's just so fundamentally sound for his size, and I think he's going to continue to get better, again, as a server. I think he's going to continue to get better as a volleyer. Which, are, But given the things he can do on the run, the improvisational skills he has, I mean, look, you can— I, he, uh, I'll save it the take for another time. Point is, really good run for Riley Opelka. He's now in Shanghai as well. A guy I'm circling just to watch whenever possible because he has solidified himself again in the top 40. And now it's, can he get himself a seed for the 2020 Australian Open? That's going to be something that'll be fun to monitor down this home stretch. But we talked about Novak Djokovic looking so good in his title run here. He won his fourth title on the season, tying him for the lead on the ATP Tour. Another guy who earned his fourth title this weekend, Dominic Team, who goes into uh, Beijing. You don't want to say in bad form. I mean, he loses a match to Taylor Fritz in Labor Cup, whatever. It's a Labor Cup, but, you know, he didn't look, he hasn't looked great again since the weird loss to Medvedev in Montreal. Then he loses Cincinnati. I think he pulls out of Cincinnati, loses first round at the U.S. Open. For him to come here and get the wins he did this past weekend, three sets, 2 6, 7 6, 7 5 over Hachanov, or as I like to affectionately say, Karen Kachanov, and then of course, 3 6, 6 4, 6 1 over Tsitsipas in the final. I mean, the jump from Dominic team, I guess I'll, I want to frame it like this. I know age wise, what we're seeing from Medvedev is different than what we're seeing from team this year because it's the first time we've seen it from Medvedev. But I mean, you, the jumps they've bo- the, that team has taken this year on a hard court. He goes to Indian Wells and wins the title. He wins the title here over a loaded draw. I mean, he took a jump this season, regardless of the fact that he hasn't performed that well at the majors. Yeah, I would agree. Um, hasn't performed that well at the majors, with the exception of the French Open, obviously. Of course, um, I, but, the non-French Open majors. Right. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. And and it just goes to show you. I think this result. I mean, I was thinking about it as I was watching him play over over last weekend. Is just Dominic Team when when he gets hot. I mean, his ability, his ceiling. I mean, he can be so 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 good, man. But there's just times throughout the year, and you mentioned it. Like I I look at Daniil Medvedev as just overall a more consistent player. Like his ups and downs throughout the season are not nearly as much as a Dominic team. I mean, Dominic team will have first round losses. You mentioned it. I mean, we're talking U.S. Open, a, a, a major losing in the first round. Um, you know, in, in Montreal, he did not look good. So there's just tournaments where Dominic team doesn't show up. 
but when he does show up, man, he's he's incredible. I mean, he can come back from losing a first set to Hatchinov 6-2 and then grind it out, win two tough sets in the second and third and win that match, then come back the next day and beat Stefano Tsitsipas the same way. I mean, team, he's got that ability, man, to, to beat anybody in the world. He's got the firepower. We know he hits huge off the ground. He's beaten, you know, Roger Federer and Indian Wells. He can beat anybody. It's just a matter of... Is it one of those tournaments where he's really, really on? Because otherwise, I mean, we've seen early exits. It's just a consistency thing. Well, it, it's funny because, just to throw in another one, we saw him beat Novak Djokovic over what felt like seven days at the French Open semifinals, right? right. So, yeah, we've seen it from him in the biggest stages this season. Yeah. But it's but you talk about the difference between him and Medvedev. You look at their records on the year. Medvedev, 54-17, and 17, by the way. That's freaking nuts. Yeah. Uh, Dominic, although, so a little sneak peek for you listeners. We're putting together our best of the decade podcast outlines. It's going to be something we're going to be focusing on down the home stretch, given 2019 is the end of the ATP WTA decades. Um, and some of the Djokovic, Nadal, uh, Federer, and Murray seasons from Earth. I don't want to give away my hottest takes, but some of the seasons from some of these guys earlier in the decade, you're just like, are you kidding me? Um, so, you know, I'm I'm right now not that astonished by the 54 and 17, but Daniel Medved have three titles on the year. Dominic team, four titles. So you talk about that consistency. I think all of us have been wanting Daniel Medvedev to, or Daniel Medvedev, excuse me, Dominic team to scale back on the scheduling. It felt like so many times during the years. Uh, the past two years, by the end of the season, he was just burnt out. And so to see him get a title in this portion of the season on the hard court, again, that's a jump for me. It's regaining that confidence. He now, with this title, uh, not only ascends to, you look in the live rankings, back up to number five in the world, but you look at it, he's one of the five players to have clinched himself a spot in the ATP year-end finals. It's him, Medvedev, Federer, Djokovic, Nadal. That's the, the company you want to be in come this 2019 season, and I think that's right. I really do think those have probably been the five best players in 2019, and I know Dominic teams ascended to those heights before, but it felt like this season he really locked in on across multiple surfaces. Hey, I'm a top five guy on tour, and you know, should these big three guys, sorry, Murray, uh, just I'm talking about in terms of current form, ever drop off, I'm in a pole position to replace them. Yeah, I think so, and I'd still like to see a little bit more consistency out of sure. team on grass as well. Um, but obviously, I mean, on clay, I think uh, with the exception of Rafa Nadal, I mean, team, as far as I'm concerned, is the second best clay court player in the world. And he's beaten Rafa on clay. So, I mean, really on any given day on that surface, I think Dominic team would have have a puncher's chance to beat Rafa on clay. Um, but yeah, on the hard courts, I mean, obviously winning Indian Wells, I mean, that speaks for itself. The guy can play. I mean, he can flat out play top five in the world. I, I think he belongs there. He really does. I mean, with the way he can hit his backhand, God, his forehand really started cooking, I thought, against Hatchinov and then Sitsipas after losing those first couple of sets in both his semifinal and final in Beijing. I just I feel like he, he his game just ratcheted up even more. His forehand got lethal, and yeah, it was fun to watch, man. Because that that Dominic team, I mean, I could watch all day. I, I yeah. love watching him play when he's playing like that. No one will match him in terms of firepower, just right. on a stroke for stroke basis. The, the guy hits so hard. I thought it was fascinating to see Hatchinov. Uh, take advantage of team's court positioning. You saw Hatchinov move in more than I'm used to seeing. I also think given his height, how heavy team hits the ball, it sits higher in his strike zone than he's used to. And I thought Hatchinov played that to his advantage through the first set and a half. I think he was up a set and a break in that second set. Uh, but yeah, Dominic team just such a tremendous athlete, so scrappy because he hits the ball so hard. You can't take a point off if you float one slice, which you're bound to do because Dominic team does hit the ball so hard. It, it's really difficult to come back in that point because he's able to take such an aggressive stance. He's able to hit the ball so big off of both wings. Doesn't even matter that he has a one-handed back end. He can still go line on both sides. He can go short angles on both sides. He can go deep cross on both sides. He's just got a lot of weapons. And you're right. You would like to see the consistency improve week in, week out. That's the difference. You talk about him. I mentioned uh, 15 losses in this year. Going back to what I've seen over the, those top guys, the Djokovic, the Murrays, the Federers, the Nadal, 
all seasons, those guys are 10 losses or less, right? They're winning more than half of the events they sign up for. And Dominic Team plays a ton of events, so just statistically that's harder to do. Um, but yeah, it... I just think we saw a jump from him. I think certainly his level across two surfaces now is undeniably top five. I mean, you could yeah, you made the argument for Clay, so I don't need to go on in that. But to me, that's a jump. Uh, but I don't know. Any, anything else on Dominic Team that you saw this weekend? Yeah, no, I, I agree, man. Definitely a jump from what we saw, you know, throughout the U.S. Open and the U.S. O- the lead up to the U.S. Open in the hardcourt series. Yeah, definitely a major jump for him to win this title. So I think he's feeling good about himself. And again, you know, when we get to the World Tour Finals in London, I mean, he's obviously a threat. I mean, anytime he steps on the court, if he's playing at that level, look out. So I, I think he's moving in the right direction. It's just you know, throughout the entire season, you know, in 2020, I would, I'd love to see him get some grass court results. I mean, I don't know how, if that's wishful thinking or if, if I'm completely out of my mind, but man, if he could make a run on grass, like at at Wimbledon or, you know, Queens club, wherever it would be. I mean, I I would love to see that as well. I mean, that's a debate for another time, right? Right. Whether he can succeed on grass or not. Right. But yeah, that's a missing piece, certainly. You want to see him break that top three eventually. And you want to see him challenge Nadal at at the French. There's no doubt of all the guys on tour, he's the one who's come closest to showing that sort of prowess on the clay, the way the surface matches up so well with his game. But, you know, that'll be something I'm sure we monitor going into 2020. Something else we were monitoring, uh, I mentioned for Kachinov, the fact that, you know, throughout the week he has a Paris Masters title to defend down the home stretch and he's another guy who has really had a disappointing by his standards 2019 season now you look in the live rankings he's back up to number eight right now with this um, past result and with the Paris points still on his record so that's a career high but you look at him in the ATP race of the year and finals he's not going to be in London he's way too far behind at this point uh, I guess he could win these next two Masters that'd be interesting if he just goes back to back <laughs> in Shang- but if he does that then I apologize for being wrong but he's right now number 17 in the live ATP race and you know he doesn't defend those points in Paris he slips up I'm sure he'll slip in the rankings as well uh, you look in terms of his record on the season 25 and 22 no titles this season but I thought this was a big bounce back week for him you just you remember all of the things he could do well I always think for Hatchinov the last half of the season should be where he shines just because physicality is his biggest strength right that's the biggest gap between him and his opponent um and I, I, it's it's encouraging again to see him. You know, obviously, new child in his life, Mazel Tov to him and his family. That's something that'll recenter you. But I thought this was a really good result for him. He gets you know good wins over Cuevas, Shardy, and then Fonini to reach the semifinal. Uh, he was up on team, and I'm sure he's kicking himself for losing that one. But I thought really good result from him this week. Yeah, yeah, don't disagree with that at all. Um, you know, based on the year that he's had, I think he can, you know, look back on this tournament and, you know, see that as just a step in the right direction with everything, um, you know, you mentioned his, his personal life and all that. So, yeah, no, good good result for sure. Yeah, and then the other two guys from this tournament, we, I can't believe we haven't mentioned this match, and we'll try and be disciplined here, Matt, because I'm sure we could do a 30-minute segment just on this match. But obviously, we all got not only, you know, the Djokovic Gofen semifinal was eye-popping, team versus Hachanov, eye-popping. But the one that you could have argued was the best on the ATP side this past weekend, Tsitsipas Zverev, right? Stefano Tsitsipas going down, I believe, a break and then going down 6-3 in the first set breaker to Alex Zverev to ultimately win that match 7-6-6-4. And then in the second set, he goes up 5-1. Zverev fights off a, bu- a bunch of match points to get it back to 5-4. And then Tsitsipas ultimately holds. So topsy-turvy match. Um, you talk about direction for these guys, how we're happy with uh, team. It's nice to see Hechanov get on the right track. I know Zverev lost this match, but I was really encouraged with his week here. And, and I know he destroyed rackets against Tsitsipas. I know, of course, again, in the biggest moments, he definitely played a little bit too passive. And, of course, Tsitsipas is never, you know, passive is never something. He's got so many pos- you know, P's and S's in his name. Passes just uh, Passive isn't something <laughs> he does, given his last name. Uh, but... I don't know. Your thoughts on this match? Uh, I'm going to get into hot take territory. Yeah, man. I mean, look, uh, this is another Zverev match where I was just, 
I was, here we go. I, here I, we go. I, I was, I was kind of left just once again, not scratching my head, but just kind of trying to pull out my hair. Um, <laughs> he, he should have won the first set, man. I mean, let's just be honest. There is no way that he should have lost that first set. I'm sorry. You know, he's up a break, 3-1. He, he's looking good. I'm like, wow, okay. Zverev is finally, he, he's he's going to do this. He's pulling it off today. I thought he was looking good early in that match. Oh, but no. No, no, no. Of course not, right? He can't do it. Gets in the tiebreaker, goes up big, loses that. And then, you know, the second set, I, second set was bizarre to me too, man. I mean, he goes down 5-1 at that point. I almost turned the TV off. I thought it was over for sure. And then he makes a little run, gets it back, but, you know, sure enough, drops it 6-4. I just, I, I don't know, man. Overall, his week was was decent, I guess. He had played some good tennis, but, God, man, in a match like this, this is the kind of match, ah, oh, we saw him at the Laver Cup. He clinched the Laver Cup. Again, he was played in that final match. He came through, Team Europe won. But now we get to a real ATP event with points and money and everything on the line. And, and you know, he reverts back to this. I, I don't know. I just, I, I, I'm not happy about it, man. I'm not happy, honestly. Zirov earlier in the week, he beats Francis Tiafo 3-2. and two. And let's be honest, Francis Tiafo is giving us our best Jack Sock impression of a season uh, I've seen in a while. But then he beats FAA 3-1. and one. Really, really good form of that. Beats Sam Query seven six six two again. Uh, good serving from him throughout the week. I know only two double faults shouldn't be something you celebrate from a top ten player, but he only double faults twice against Tsitsipas. In general, he makes seventy four percent of his first serves. Now he only wins fifty eight percent of those points, and that's the difference in the match when you look at Tsitsipas, who won eighty two uh, points in total. Zverev wins seventy four. So again, it's whether it's spinning it in lightly or just giving Tsitsipas a good look at a first ball. You know, Zverev is comfortable playing five feet behind the baseline that's kind of what makes him so special is given his size the weapons that he can move as well as he does back there that's why so many people are just so encouraged by all the different things that he can do but yeah the difference is when CT Pass moves forward behind an approach shot there's a plan right he's at the net and he knows what he wants to do with that next volley no matter where it comes Zverev he gets up there because he thinks he should be up there and it doesn't look like he and this is so obviously Alex Zverev is significantly better at tennis than I will ever be, without saying. <laughs> right, right. Um, but Me he just too. looks I lost. Mean, up, yeah, he just yeah. looks lost up there. I don't think that's unfair to say that he goes up there oftentimes without a plan. He'll hit a good approach up, but he's not, you know, the little things. If you get Tsitsipas stretched wide with a, with a backhand, shade to the right, cover the alley, for him to hit a one-handed cross-court flick pass— Clap your racket and say, great shot, Stefanos. But, like, he doesn't shade over. He just always seems surprised by where the passing shot goes. And, I mean, of course he should be surprised he's not hitting the pass. But you got to have some sort of court sense up there. And that, to me, is the biggest missing piece still from Alex Vera. And I'm sure he drills at home. I was at Cincinnati, a guy we criticize all the time, Taylor Fritz, for his volleys. I literally watched him hit 30 minutes of approach. And then the the coach is going to simulate a passing shot. And he literally was working on that. So, so I'm sure Alex Virov is doing the same, but it's just not there yet. I think that, for me, was the biggest difference. It's what allowed Tsitsipas to have more success in the final moments. Yeah, man, and I just, look, like, I want to be clear I want to be clear as to why I'm so frustrated, and that's because I really, genuinely, I want Zverev to do well. Like, I want to see him do well. I'm a fan of his. I, I, I want to see him succeed, and I know he can do it. He has the talent to do it. And what's frustrating is when he lets guys off the hook. To me, he let Stefano Tsitsipas off the hook in this match. You know, if you get beat, that's one thing. If you go out there, you play your game, you have a plan, you know, you try to execute, and you get beat by a better player, that's that's one thing. Okay, fair enough. But it just seems like time and time again, we talk about Zverev, and he's letting players off the hook in matches that he should either be winning or or playing differently in order to give himself a better chance to win. And so that's what's frustrating to me. I think in the beginning of that match, Tsitsipas got in his head a little bit. There was some some challenge discrepancies where, you know, Tsitsipas challenged maybe a little bit late and Zverev had some words with the chair umpire. And I, I don't know, man, mentally, again, 
Tsitsipas was was the better player between the ears, and and you know we get the result that we that we did. So I don't know, man. It is it is what it is. And not to take away from Tsitsipas, who by the way needed this result. He hasn't played that well since Wimbledon either. So huge for him to get an ATP 500 here. And again, you look at the race to the year-end finals. Tsitsipas in the pole position at number six, but over 900 points above number seventh place RBA, over a thousand above eighth place Zverev, and ninth place Gofen. Uh, he he should get into the year-end finals, and let's be honest, he deserves to. You talk about the win leaders on the ATP this season. I mentioned Medvedev, number 154, Rafa, Djokovic, uh, Rafa 248, Djokovic 346, Federer 445. Tsitsipas, the only other guy above the 40-win threshold with 42 wins this season against 21 losses. Now, 63 matches in a season. Uh, that's, I think, you know, right up there. Second only to Daniil Medvedev, who's got, I think, what, 71 matches according to this. You look at where some of these other guys are at. Uh, Zverev, 57. Matteo Berrettini, 53. So obviously he's played a ton of matches on the season. But uh, for both of these guys, I think it's imperative. They, you know, For Zverev, he, he won the event last year. Both of these guys have incentive to make a push down this home stretch to qualify for those year-end finals because when you're 21 years old as Tsitsipas is, 22 as Zverev is, even though Zverev's already played the event and won it, those moments, those year-end finals when you get shots against the big guys, they become invaluable when you play them in the last rounds of a slam, right? So just get there, get those reps, face off against your contemporaries, Medvedev team, as well as those other guys, and put yourself in a position to build some momentum again going into 2020. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely be disappointed. I I want those guys in in that tournament in London. I mean, both Sitsipas and Zverev, they need to be in there, in my opinion. And, and I really hope they do. I, th- I think they will. I, I'm if, confident if that they'll get If Sitsipas doesn't get in, it's an upset. If Zverev doesn't get in, it's because he screwed himself from February to freaking May. Um, but yeah, that's... Uh, that's exactly like I I agree I, I think uh, we should d- absolutely see them down the home stretch and it will be disappointing if they're not in those year-end finals but speaking of year-end finals and of course we ended up doing about 10 minutes on that uh, Pass uh, Zverev match but let's flip sides now to the WTA who also had an event in Beijing uh, obviously we I talked about it last week but what a weekend of tennis we were treated to in terms of the matchups we were giving and in Beijing I mean, the semifinals had everything you could have wanted. Number one seed, Ashley Barty, defeated number eight seed, Kiki Bertens, 6-3, Naomi Osaka, 4-2 over Wozniacki to set up a matchup between two of the top five players in the in the world right now on the WTA Tour, Ashley Barty and Naomi Osaka, two of the players this season who have occupied the number one spot in the rankings. And the match we got in the final was the quality you would expect with two players with those credentials. Osaka taking a 3-6-6-3-6-2 win for Osaka. I believe she's now won 10 matches in a row. She won the tournament last week in Osaka, Japan. Now she comes here and gets a win, clinches her spot in the year-end finals where she is now the number three player overall in terms of points accumulated back up to number three in the world now in the rankings as well I mean it's crazy to say but somehow she looks even fitter than she did at the U.S. Open Matt I mean her level over these past two weeks have just been stunning yeah I think so too man I really have to tip my cap to Naomi Osaka with what she's done over these last couple of weeks I mean, here in Beijing alone, I mean, her quarterfinal matchup with Andrescu was, you know, that was a blockbuster. Um, She's able to get through that one. Stop Andrescu's run. You know, she was on a ridiculous run at that time. And so Osaka stops her. And then, you know, Caroline Wozniacki, I believe, was the defending champion in Beijing. So, uh, you know, Osaka gets through that one, looks really, really good. And then, (laughs) sure enough, Ash Barty in the final. I mean... Woo, talk about going through a gauntlet of players to to win a title. I mean, Osaka just, I was impressed all week long with her play. I think she's stepped up, like you mentioned, even more. I mean, from the U.S. Open, um, the way that she's playing right now, I mean, she could, I, I would not be shocked if, if she won the, the year-end finals. 
So obviously she knocked off Bianca Andreescu, who, when you're having a conversation about best players in 2019 on the WTA Tour, it's probably Osaka, Andreescu, and Barty in whatever order you see fit. Um, and you know, from that match into the Wozniacki match, into the Barty match, just that she's able to translate her level each and every day, that's what a top player does, right? That's the sort of stretch... Uh, it's not fair to say that about Dominic Thiem, but it's the same sort of thing from Medvedev, right, that we've seen post-Wimbledon. It's just, it's not just that he's winning, it's that he's doing it each and every week, consistently winning, consistently making deep runs. That's how you distinguish yourself as a top player in the world. And for Naomi Osaka, it was so fascinating to me to watch players, because I think they clearly attack her forehand, right? It's the big, funky backswing. It's got a little bit of a hitch to it. It's the side to attack with pace to get her stretched on because her backhand is so good, because she absorbs pace so well, and the other side can go down the line across so dangerously with it. But just the way Osaka came up with short angles, the way she had no fear going down the line against Ashley Barty, who, you know, Ashley Barty, who likes to slice her own backhand, who loves to run around it and play inside out, inside in, forehands as often as possible. I mean, I I just thought the way Osaka was so disciplined trying to force Barty to hit a backhand in that final and then, you know, to keep her honest, was so willing to go backhands down the line, was so willing to go forehands down the line to keep attacking that Barty backhand. She's special, man. I mean, I, I don't know what else to say beyond that. She is just simply a special talent and the upside it's just tremendous it's so fun to watch her play because I I feel like the level of play on these top at these top WTA players right now is as high a level as I've ever seen yeah and and I don't know if you noticed this Alex but I mean I, I noticed that her serve throughout the week really bailed her out at times I mean if she got in a pickle you know down 1540 she would pop some serves in there man she used her serve really really well I thought better than I've seen in a while and it I mean, that helped her. That helped her a lot. Against Wozniacki, it helped. Against Barty a little bit. Um, You know, so overall, I mean, you mentioned, you know, what she was doing off the ground, definitely. And I I think the serve was right there as well. So it was just, it was a combination of everything. And and that's why she was able to win. She was the best player in Beijing. Yeah, and again, it it speaks to the fact that she not only wins there, but has continued this level now on back-to-back events. I want to talk about Ashley Barty for a little bit because her semifinal against Kiki Bertens was as fascinating as any match on the weekend. That third set in particular, the way they were yo-yoing back and forth, I think it was Barty went up 2-0, then uh, Bertens went up 3-2, then Barty went back up, then Bertens ended up having a chance to serve for the match. At 5-4, she had a couple of match points, or I think maybe just one match point in the tiebreaker as well, which Barty ended up winning 9-7. I mean, again, I think more and more people have now scouted Ashley Barty. They realize if you can get balls into that backhand side, but then keep her honest by going backhand down the line to make her make sure she's still covering that forehand and can't cheat over. You know, you have to be incredibly disciplined about it, obviously, but that's the way to attack. But just the way she says, eh. I don't care. You can do that. I'm going to slice the backhand. I'm going to try and move in. I'm going to off, you know, throw you off with different paces, different angles, different speeds. Uh, it's just so many tools in her tool shed. And again, it's different than, I think, Osaka. It's different than Andrescu. It's just so fun. I think these three players, given that all of their styles are slightly different, hopefully they all stay healthy. Hopefully they all maintain this level because it's just going to make for such a fun contrast of styles. Yeah, no, I I love Ash Barty's game. I mean, I've said that before. Her variety is is it's really different than almost anybody else in the women's game, to be honest. I mean, she does things that that most of the players on tour cannot do. And you know, I think because of that some, I mean, she will have matches like this, you know, like against Burton's where it's going to be a nail biter and it's going to go back and forth um and she's going to have to grind out some wins like that. I just I think that's going to be the nature of it, you know, as she moves forward. She will find herself in, in those matches, uh, but but she'll have a chance to win them. I mean, she's a fighter, and, and with that game style, I mean, you know, she's going to be able to give anybody fits. So, uh, yeah, man, I, I agree. Those those three are, are definitely uh, worth keeping an eye on, and, you know, that's not even mentioning a whole bunch of, you know, younger players that, you know, we've talked about a bunch before. So, yeah, it'll, it'll be fun. 
Of course, and we mentioned Kiki Bertens. That's how I'll transition to our last thing on what happened this week and what it looks like for the WTA uh, World Tour Finals. I think that's what I don't know if they call it the World Tour Finals. We'll just call it the WTA Finals, I guess. Um, but you you look at the cutoffs are now. Six players have qualified for that event already. Barty, Pliskova, Osaka, Halep, Andrescu, Kvitova. I mean, the race for the final spots is it's neck and neck. And this week, the number seven and eight players, Alina Svitolina, who right now at 3,990, points is 295 points ahead of Belinda Bencic, who's number 10, But and it really comes down to the 7 through 10 spots. Svitolina at 7, Serena at 8, Kiki Bertens at 9, so obviously that's semifinal, huge for her. And then Belinda Bencic at 10. Both Bertens and Bencic are going to be playing in Linz this week. Uh, for the two of them, you look at how many points they have versus how many they can have if they do well. Belinda Bencic, she can really only get in if Serena doesn't play, or if because even if she wins this event, she's still going to be five points behind Serena. Uh, so a lot of it for her is overtaking Bertens and you know making sure Serena, not making sure, but having Serena not play the event or any of the players above her not play the event. But I mean, both Bertens and Bencic still well alive because you don't know if Serena is going to play the event. And if Kiki Bertens wins this, she'll surpass both Serena and Svitolina anyways. So she'll put herself in pole position. And with that context in mind, given that it's going to be a thrilling finish, the last thing I want to do with you on this podcast, Maddie, because it has been so long, feels like we've built up enough uh, results, enough different things to play a game we like to play whenever we get together. That, of course, is called Possible or Alex. Alex, you're f***ing crazy. Uh, I'm going to throw some predictions your way. You'll tell me if you think they're possible or if you think, as always, I'm a little messed up. Before we do that, Westoff, please give me a sound effect. All right, Matt, as I mentioned, that's the scenario down the home stretch. Svitolina, Williams, Burton's, Benchich, different point disparities. You look at the draw just so you know what they have to play with this week uh, in Linz, Austria, where we have Kiki Burton's, who I believe is the number one seed in this event, takes a wild card to play it. Belinda Benchich, the number two seed, so they wouldn't match up until the finals, and boy, wouldn't that be fun to see. Given their recent form, and I believe Benchich lost uh, in the quarterfinals or round 16 in uh, in Beijing last week, but given their recent form, given what you've seen from them, uh, possible or Alex, you're effing crazy. This is all, by the way, assuming that Serena does not play. Uh, we will see Belinda Benchich, not Kiki Bertens, in the final spot. I, I think that's possible. I really do. Um, and I was going to say, I mean, I... I I like what Belinda Bencic has done this year in 2019. I really do. Um, I think she is she is deserving of that final spot if she were to get it, and I would have no problems with that. Um, I, you know, you mentioned her draw a little bit as the two seed this week. I mean, if so, real quick, while you're thinking that, let me let me read the seeds for you. On the top half, you have the number one seed Burton's, the number six seed Sakari, nine seed Pavelchenk, uh, Kova. Five seed Georgie, um, and then on the so that so that's the top half. Uh, and again, I'll just say to you, Sakari, Georgie, uh, Pavelchenkova are the seeds. You look on the bottom half of the draw. You have Alexandrova, the eight seed, number four seed Donna Vekic, number seven seed Striskova, and then of course the number two seed Bencic. You also have Yelena Ostapenko thrown into that bottom half as well as Kiki Mladenovic. So with those contexts in mind, again, give me your breakdown. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I think those are both decent draws. I think Burton's may have a little bit, um, a, a slightly easier, if if I can call it easier, um, road to the final. But I could definitely see, uh, based on what you said there, I could see those two matching up in the final. I, I really could. If it was a burtons Benchich final, uh, I'd really like to see that. And I'm telling you, I, I think Benchich can win that. I, I will take Benchich. Um, so it's possible, man. It's possible. So here's the thing. Uh, I, I guess left this out. She's healthy, right? Yeah. But for Kiki Burton, she could potentially have a second round matchup with Ali Venutvinik, who I think two weeks ago won in Tashkent. Uh, so, you know, Van Uvenik comes in in very good form as well. Top 50 player this year, I want to say top 40 right now in the live rankings. And in fact, I'm looking up her live ranking and seeing she is number 47 in the live ranking. Uh, and you look at her in the race right now, she's number 45. So a top 50 player all year long for certain. 
Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have asked it if I didn't think the answer was Benchic. I, I do. I just, I've loved the way Belinda Benchic has played uh, just throughout this season, particularly down the home stretch. I think her win through Dubai and then making, what was it, the finals of Indian Wells was as good of a two-week stretch as almost any player we've seen outside of probably Andrescu, who was just so good this year. Um, I, I also would like to see, given their age differences, just a group of Benchich, Osaka, Barty, you know, all in that, and Rescue, all in that year-end final, that'd all be players under the age of 24. Like, wouldn't that be juicy? We have the young group, and then we'd have the old-timers, Fidelina at 25, an old-timer, that's <laughs> uh, a of a Pl- Pliskova and Halep, like a generational thing. Um, I'm all in on that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That'd be fun, man. That'd be fun. I mean, either way, it's I will have no issues if it's Burton's that gets in. I mean, again, I think she's she's very deserving as well. I, I really do. So I, I'm not going to have a problem with it either way. But I definitely, um, I mean, I see a scenario where Benchich gets in, man. I, I do. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't think that would be surprising to see at all. But with that in mind, a little Shanghai edition because we haven't had to talk uh, a chance to talk about this week's ATP Masters event. You look at the draw. We've got all the big guys saying, playing except for Rafa Nadal, the number one seed here, Novak Djokovic. Number two seed, Roger Federer. Number four seed, Dominic Team, Number three seed, Daniil Medvedev. My first question to you, possible or Alex, you're effing crazy. None of those top four seeds will win this event. Ah, uh, you're crazy. Absolutely crazy. <laughs> they, I, I can promise you they will win. One of those will win the event. That, so, that, so let's go, go person. I was going to say, let's go person by person to make it a little more, to give our listeners a sense. Number one seed, Novak Djokovic. He'll, his first round match, Denis Shapovalov. Now, let's talk about Denis Shapovalov's form. Has he made an ATP final yet? No, and it's becoming borderline comic that he hasn't. But you look at how he's played over these past few months. I mean, again, the semifinal in Winston-Salem, knocking out Sandrick Kesmenovic and Rublev in straight sets before having to lose his doubleheader to Hubie Hercatch. The way he goes to New York and has Gael Monfils, you know, comes back from the way he was down, uh, was uh, ended up being up in that fourth set, just up, or sorry, ended up being uh, taking that fourth set, seven six, kept on fight. Uh, the way he played at Laver Cup, the way that you know he made the semifinals in Chengdu before losing to Kareno Busta, but then loses six and six last week to Tokyo. I mean, Denis Shapovalov has been playing the best tennis of his season over these past four weeks, and you talk about a Novak Djokovic who again. Coming off of an injury, you got you wonder how his body is going to respond to its first full week back of tennis, although I'm sure he doesn't play the event if he wasn't feeling good the week before a Masters. But given that context, you don't think Djokovic just slightly on upset alert against Shapovalov? Nope, <laughs> I don't. And look, you're, all, the, all the points you made are correct. Like, I'm not disagreeing with any of that. Denis Shapovalov is playing great right now. I mean, I think, you know, and it's not surprising to me because I feel like he always plays well, like at this time of year, this hard court stretch at the end of the year, like after Wimbledon is when Denis Shapovalov always seems to play well. Um, but yeah, no, I saw everything that I needed to see out of Novak last week in Tokyo that just, that tells me... He's not losing, man. I, I just, unless he seriously gets injured, of course, right? I'm not talking about a retirement here. Look, if they play the match and they complete the match, Novak's going to win that. No upset alert. I mean, so you're saying if he withdraws. Okay, that's fair. I get it. No. Yeah, if he withdraws, right. Then all bets are off. If he withdraws, then I can't. All I'm saying I can't is Dennis that, is but... a dangerous opponent. He's going to hit you around the court. He's going to hit big. You're going to have to be awake and be aware and be locked in. And it's just hard to do that after the, the sort of week that Djokovic. I mean, maybe it's not. He's Novak freaking Djokovic. But I, I guess you're right. I, maybe I'm possibly crazy. You look at his 16th of the draw, though. So he's going to play Shapovalov. But then the next four, he's got Pui, Dimenauer, and Isner in that grouping. What I would give to see Alex Dimenauer versus Novak Djokovic right now because Djokovic just destroyed Puy last week so I don't need to see that again but I would love I mean I'd love to see Dimenauer Shapovalov probably more but uh just to see Djokovic I mean to see Alex Dimenauer who does a lot not similarly but just the way they both move the way they never quit on the ball the way they can just seem to get to everything that match physically would be so spicy but again you know if Novak is feeling good it's kind of similar to David Goffin, right? Where Novak is just a step better 
in all phases than Demon Hour, even though Demon Hour is great. I love Alex Demon or everything about him. Um, but if Novak's feeling right, I just that's a matchup again where it's like, man, I mean, he's probably just going to win because he does everything just a little bit better. Yeah, I don't think there's anything uh, wrong with that assessment. I think that's why we've seen the results over, you know, the way they have broken down. But I would love to see it. I don't know. Yeah, you're, you're probably right. So then we'll move on to, again, this was in the context of the top 40. Look for Roger Federer. He's now going to play Ramos Vinoles, uh, but in terms Love of his, that draw. Well, pretty, didn't Ramos Vinoles beat him in Shanghai last year? I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great draw. So I, Yeah, so he's got that, and then in his little 16th, it's the seed is Gofen, who we just spent you know five minutes raving about at the top of this podcast. So you don't see any upset alert there? Yeah, it's hard to say after the way Federer. I mean, it's a revenge match for Gofen in the way every match versus Roger Federer is a revenge match for his opponent because he just doesn't really lose. Didn't um, Federer but, play mean, Gofen at the U.S. Open? Yeah, and blew in, him off the court. In like under an hour. Yeah, so Gofen's like, well, I can't do that. He's <laughs> like, like, I got to get to at least the hour mark in this match. So, um, so who and that was there? three out of five. Yeah, exactly. For Dominic Team, ooh, you gotta love his section of the draw. He, in terms of his 16th, his seed is Basilish Vili, Benoit Pair, Pablo Carreno Busta. That's what he's got to get to the quarterfinals. Then his eight seed is uh, Bautista Goot, Berrettini. I like that draw. Opelka Struff. Yeah. That's All a good right, draw you know for Dominic you're Team. You're never going to pick an upset, so I'm scrapping this question and moving <laughs> on to my next one. Um, all right, we'll, we'll wrap this up pretty quickly, but uh, just a couple more for you. The winner of Felix Ogier al and Alexander Sasha Bublik in the first round will knock off Stefano Tsitsipas in the second round. Possible or you're crazy? Uh, possible. Ooh. Definitely. I think, yeah, no, I think that's possible. Um, Tsitsipas is playing better. I mean, he's coming off, um, you know, that final last week. So he's looking pretty good, but... I don't know, man. Felix, you know, Felix is my guy. Like, I love Felix. Like, I, I think Felix can beat pretty much anybody, you know, with the exception of maybe like the top three on and any given day. And he's had Tsitsipas' so, number. Yes, yes. So I just, I think I'm picking Felix to win his first round over Bublik. I am, I don't like Bublik at all. I'm not a fan of, I'm not a fan of him. Um, I, I, I don't. He's let's just not even get into that. Yeah. Um, but you're way too much of a purist to be a fan of his. Right. It, yeah, that's fine. I'll, I'll admit that. <laughs> um, so I'll go with FAA in that matchup. And then, oh, yeah, spicy, spicy matchup with Sitsipas in the second round. Um, yeah, no, I, I see upset alert there for sure. All right, we'll revisit that later in the week. Well, then in this portion, this little 16th of the draw, fascinating stuff here are the four names we have left Fonini versus Andy Murray mm-hmm. and Taylor Fritz versus Hachanov mm-hmm. <laughs> who emerges to the quarterfinal of that group oh man realistically you're gonna say Fonini see I know you're no, gonna say no I'm I'm not I'm not <laughs> gonna say Fonini I'm gonna say Hachanov well, however uh, he is the seventh seed I would love I would love for it to be Andy Murray. I mean, I would just, I would love that. I mean, that would be great. I don't know. Ah, there is a chance that it could happen. But man, it's going to be tough. I mean, the Fognini match, I really do believe, and maybe I could be way off base here, but I guess it may be more my heart than my head. <laughs> I just believe that Andy Murray could win that match. I really do. Here's the thing. And sorry to cut you off. And and I I just, I haven't had the chance to talk Andy Murray with someone yet, so this is music to my ears. Is he moving the way 2012 to 2015, 16 Andy Murray moved? No, of course he's not at this point. He's still slicing more out of the corners, particularly on the backhand side, than he ever used to. But he's getting an eighth of a step better, in my opinion, at least in every match. Slowly but surely, a little quicker, a few less slices. He's serving bigger. He's taking more chances, something so many of us who have watched him play always wanted him to do. He's a sneaky good volleyer, and he seems to be moving forward more and more, but just more importantly, he is enjoying himself on the court so much, and it's so fun to see. Now, I worry in Fonini, he has a test against someone who's really going to hurt him, right? Who's going to force him to be stretched, move to the corners, because it's so difficult to play uh, or just because he has so much firepower but with that in mind it's still just like 
Oh, it's tempting, man. I mean, Fritz Chachanov is really getting screwed over here because that's a great match. And, you know, in an Andy Murray-less draw, we'd be, that would have been what the question is about. But, like, oh. I just, in my head, love to like, see I, it. I want to believe, I, I want to believe that Murray can win that match. I really do. I, I just, you know, if he loses two and two, then, then I look like a fool. But, man, I just... Fognini, you know he's going to throw in some drop shots. He's going to have Murray on the run. I mean, he's going to be moving them. I just, it's a tough, it's a really tough match. It's a really tough match. I just hope that that Murray gets Fabio on kind of an off day. Or, you know, because Fabio can have those matches where he's a little disinterested. And he can, you know, get the crowd a little riled up and, and things of that nature. So if, if Murray can get him on one of those days and have the crowd, you know, rally behind Andy, then let's roll the dice and see what happens, man. I don't know. Come on, Murray. Like, I just, yeah. I want to see it. No, I'm, look, you don't have to, you don't have to sell me. Yeah, I'm I know, 100%. I know all in uh you look at their career head-to-head murray four and three uh four to three head-to-head although they haven't played i think since the 2016 wimbledon uh you look at all the different i mean here's a fun fact do you know they played in 2007 at the canada masters event jeez that that was their first encounter how crazy is that who won it uh and uh fabio fognini two and three. Oh, yeah so that is Man. i mean that's a crazy. It's a crazy thought. I, it's just like I, again, just be happy that it's happening, right? That's that's the big. Right. Point. I guess that's the plus. I mean, for for Murray to be in Shanghai, a Masters thousand at this stage after everything. I mean, it's it's great. Yeah, it's everything we want as tennis fans, and so that is why I know you and I are both so excited to see it. But all right, with that in mind, we have, we're right around the hour mark, and as I mentioned before, nowadays when I get to this point, I just hear Jamie in my head yelling at me. So with that in mind, any final thoughts about the Shanghai draw? Your Oh, ooh, no, I lied. I have one more bonus question for you. For our listeners who have never heard Matt and I get together, you know that when it becomes time, him and I will be talking a lot of college tennis together. Now, Matt, I did not give you time to prepare for this question, and I apologize for that. But our listeners know the AT- ITA All-American event, the first you know college Grand Slam individually of the season, is going on this week. Your winner, Matt, of the event will be. Ooh, God, man, it it's a tough call, and I, I have We don't even know is the draw even out yet. It's a good question. I don't um, think it is. And, uh, and so well, some matches have happened. I'm, I'm not sure. I don't have the draw in front. Of I know qualify qualifying's going on right now. So I know that they've played qualifying matches. My brother's down there right now playing. But I, I, I don't know, man. I almost, I really kind of don't want to pick a winner until the draws out, just out of fairness, like to the players. <laughs> I mean, really, because otherwise, you know, I, I don't know. I mean. Come on. No cop-out. Give me a name. I'll go with Christian Sigsgard. Wow! Of Texas! Yep. <laughs> I hope he's not even playing the event. Yeah, no, well, I'm he sorry. might not even be playing. But yeah, if he's, you never know. That's well, the that's problem. the thing. I mean, that that is a problem. If he's playing, I'll go with him. But, I, man, I want to see the draw. I reserve the right to change that pick when the draw comes out, Okay. All right, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt here and say that we will reserve this to talk later in the week. Um, but yeah, I, I, it, it's just another thing. Throw it on the event. You, you, you know, the time difference is too much for you, and you need some quality tennis to the day. Not only do you have that, you have the Fairfield Challenger, where both Stevie Johnson, Dennis Kudlow, the one and two seed at that event, and you know it's just going to be a loaded, uh, jam-packed field of young American talent. So be on the lookout for that. And if you've missed any of the action from the past week, you need to catch up on all things tennis. Be sure to check out our website, CrackRackets.com, for all things Mini Break Podcast, Great Shot Podcast. The Cracked Interviews podcast. Well, you know, we've had so many good guests on there recently. We've got, as I mentioned, the Best of the Decade podcast for the GSP lined up for the end of the year stretch. So be on the lookout for those. Uh, you know, you need the more immediate fixes. You know our handles by now on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. It's at Cracked Rackets. Again, in terms of the podcast, please like, rate, subscribe, review, share with your friends. We want to hear from you listeners. Do you guys have thoughts on the best of the decade? Do you guys have thoughts on who's going to win the ITA All-American? Obviously, Matt, 
doesn't. So let's hear from some of you and hear what you have to say. No, but with that in mind, Maddie, any final thoughts? I don't think so, man. I think we pretty much hit it. Look, I will be following uh, that that tournament down in Tulsa very closely. I just look. I got to see the draw first, man. Come on. Yeah, you know. that's that's fair. I, I remember my first cop out of a pick. It was a big oh, deal. Oh yeah, yeah. Picture okay. it. 2002, Pete Sampras, U.S. Open. My mind tells me yes, but my eyes like, don't do it. Um, and, of course, I copped out. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but, yeah, with that in mind, again, huge shout-out, as always, to the super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, who really do, as always, have a an editing job to do. Uh, but with that in mind, for our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, for my wonderful co-hosts, Matt the Cracks Stokowiak, and from our entire team at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Maddie, what do we tell our listeners? That's a break. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.